We, our scripture this morning comes from 2 Timothy um, chapter 4. <laughs> chapter 4. Uh, sorry, cha- chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9 through 13. Listen now to the word. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica, Crescens, has gone to Galatia, Titus to, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is youth, useful in my ministry. I have sent Tychius to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord God, as we gather to learn, give us the grace to learn from our mistakes and the grace to get it right the first time and the grace to learn more and more and more about the same thing in your created order. In the name of Christ, amen. This past, na- this past Wednesday, as our nation commemorated the events of 9-11, which is now 18 years ago, like many of you, I thought back to my experiences on that day. I was living in Iowa at the time, the pastor of a downtown church on the city's main public square. After the initial shock of the morning, I spent the afternoon both calling members whom I knew to have college or young adults, uh, college kids or young adults living in New York, and then planning what kind of worship response our church would have for the community that week and then on Sunday morning. We ended having a series of readings and music at noon on Friday, which because of the time difference allowed me to race home afterward and watch the service that was held here at the National Cathedral. That evening, the local news opened its telecast from inside the worship center of a local megachurch scaled down to Iowa size. The minister and the congregants were speaking in tongues, lifting their hands toward heaven, expressing in what was doubtless a cathartic way the deeply felt and varied emotions that were running through all our veins that day. At lunch at a Presbyterian meeting a few weeks later, I remember sharing this story and saying that the services we had in our congregation and the service at the National Cathedral were moving to me. And they reminded me that in our tradition, we have both a theology and a liturgy that can can encompass in a way that speaks to both the heart and the mind an event as large and tragic as 9-11. It reminded me that despite all our troubles and declines and worries about membership in our older Protestant denominations, I am still nourished by the Presbyterian Church and glad that I've given my life to furthering its traditions. I simply love 
the way we worship. At the heart of our tradition and immediately tied to the way we worship is our strong commitment to learning. In the Presbyterian Church, we learn the songs of faith as children, the hymns as youth and adults. We learn the individual stories of the Bible embedded within the larger narrative arc of the Old and New Testaments. We learn the basic theological affirmations and understandings as we recite creeds and confessions in worship. We learn prayers and liturgies, which across several thousand years have expressed the greatest joys of the human experience and have carried us through our darkest hours. And we learn the world around us, literature, the arts, history, philosophy, economics, political science, international relations, and the hard sciences of chemistry and physics, biology and zoology, astronomy and other disciplines whose names I know, but whose content is well beyond me. Our primary forebear, John Calvin, opened his massive theological treatise of what Protestants believe, called the Institutes of the Christian Religion, with these words. Without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. And without knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of self. When we learn of the world through all the systems of knowledge, we learn of self And we learn of God. When we learn of God through liturgy, music, preaching, and worship of the church, we learn of God and we learn of self. Calvin's purpose was to show how the knowledge of self and God are interrelated. We might even say inextricably intertwined. Our theology and liturgy encompass what we know and what we experience in the world in its created beauty and in its fallen sadness. In the brief passage that we read today, the Apostle Paul is imprisoned near the end of his life, knowing that in his own words he is about to be poured out as a libation and that the time of his departure has come. Facing another cold winter in which he will shiver in his cell like some prisoners in our very state still do, Paul writes Timothy asking him two times to come before winter. For Paul does not express does not expect to survive another winter. He asked Timothy to retrieve a heavy cloak that Paul had left in Troas and to bring the books and especially the parchments. This request to Timothy may have been the last written words that we have from Paul. 
Now, we have no proof of what books Paul was longing to read, nor the content of the writings of the parchments that he especially requested. But the word Paul uses for parchments is the same word that Luke and John and the writer of Hebrews and Paul himself used for the scrolls of the books of the Bible at their time, the books we now have as the Old Testament. Parchments may indeed refer to the sacred writings that Timothy and Paul had known since childhood, which had instructed the both of them, for salvation. It is even possible that Paul planned to bequeath these parchment writings to his colleagues so that they would replace his own writings, which were commonly being read in worship. Little did Paul know that his own writings would soon become a part of the Scripture, the Bible, read and studied for centuries in worship. The bottom line is that from a cold and dark prison cell, dripping with death, Paul is asking Timothy to bring him his Bible. To his final breath, Paul never stopped learning. Learning about self. Learning about God passing on his learning to the next generation. My friends, if Christian tradition is to be carried forward from our world into its next 2,000 years, at least in Western culture, the church needs to honor the deep desire for the mind to learn, for faith to seek understanding, and for us to think on Jesus as we ask him to think on us. The basics of our faith have to be learned and relearned. They have to be taught and retaught generation to generation. I invite you to recall and to re-experience for a minute some of the Things that we have learned and inherited from our tradition. The music, the writings, the scripture, the liturgy. Things that have provided our faith with more than, carth- cath- more than catharsis, but with content. Think of what we say at the beginning of life in words Whitney has brought to us through the baptisms that she conducts. Little child, for you, Christ Jesus, came into the world. For you, he did battle and suffered. For you, he endured the agony of Gethsemane and the darkness of Calvary. For you, he cried, it is finished. For you, he died, and for you, he triumphed over death. Yet you, little child, know nothing of this. Nothing of this. But thus is confirmed the word of the apostle, 
We love God because God first loved us. Think of what we often learn at confirmation when we're entering our teenage years and what becomes part of our recitation weekly. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick, the living, and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in the communion of saints. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the resurrection of the body. And I believe in the life everlasting. Think of what we say when we confess our sins. Eternal God, in whom we live and move and have our being, whose face is hidden from us by our sins, and whose mercy we forget. We forget in the blindness of our hearts. Think of what we say when someone we love asks us to read a scripture as they pass from this life. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And recall what we pray standing over the grave which awaits the coffin and body or the ashes and urn of someone dear to us. O Lord, support us all the day long until the shadows lengthen and the evening comes and the busy world is hushed and the fever of life is over and our work is done. Then in thy great mercy... Grant us a safe lodging and a holy rest and peace at the last. It is not that by saying these words we are being doctrinally pure, claiming to understand or even to believe fully all the phrases we recite, but we say them liturgically because they are part of who we are, and by saying them, they often become more a part of who we are. They give the yearnings of our hearts out of which our faith grows some positive content on which and sometimes against which our minds can grow. Without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. Without knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of self. On the little island off the coast of Maine where Maggie and I vacation, there is a summer tradition of a hymn sing 
held every other Sunday evening at one of the small Protestant churches on the island. There are usually about 30 or 40 people gathered, a mixture of local residents and of summer people. There normally are two pianists, a teenager on a guitar, and of course a song leader who has been leading this hymn sing for no telling how many decades. In the crowd of summer people is a New York City special education teacher who has been coming to the island every year for 40 years. There are the lapsed Unitarians. Think about that for a minute. (laughs) Who in their former lives were an, an attorney and an economist living in D.C., living in Arlington and working in D.C., who for the last two years have rented us their guest house and who have welcomed us as family. There's a couple from Cleveland who seem well-educated and well-fixed and who bring their two troubled teenage sons to every hymn sing. Sons whom, when we first met them ten years ago, were troubled elementary boys, but who, every year, seem to get a little bit better. And there are teenagers from California and New England who have grown up on the island on the summers alone, and for whom their participation in the hymn sing seems to be the only or major religious exposure that they have had. And then there is the wife of one of the veteran lobstermen on the island who belts out how great thou art from the back pew in a voice that shall we say, you can hear. (laughs) What this crew of believers and non-believers, searchers and finders share together are Protestant hymns that have shaped our culture and have shaped our faith. The old rugged cross, onward Christian soldiers, in the garden, blessed be the ties that bind, trust and obey, We've a story to tell to the nations. The theology within these hymns is not always the greatest, but sometimes it is. Most of all, the content of the faith is taught and learned, expressed and absorbed, passed on generation to generation to traveler and resident alike. Learning the faith has been a hallmark of Westminster Presbyterian Church for the nearly 80 years that we have been in existence. Through strong men's and women's group, through circles and studies, through Karen Blomberg's authenticity groups, through trips and retreats, through years of adult classes taught by leaders like Ralph Sorrett and Bruce Douglas and Tony Tombasco and Catherine Grebe, And in the Old and New Testament surveys in which you continue to enroll, we seek in this congregation to learn well, 
With the due date for our expansion to four pastors only a few weeks away, we are about to enter a new phase phase of learning as a congregation and as individuals. Fresh breezes have already been flowing. And what our youth and families have been sharing, some of which I alluded to and described last week, in that which emanates from the people sitting behind me Sunday after Sunday, in recently added groups on grief and mental health and writing through congregation-wide book reads and through guest authors, political leaders, and scientists at dessert and dialogue. As we move forward, we will likely explore and implement some new ways concerning how preschoolers and elementary children learn. We'll look at what we want our youth to know when they graduate. What issues on which we want to focus our hearts and minds as adults. We'll want to compare what children and youth who attend private schools, Catholic schools, classic Christian schools, more secular schools, public and private, what they all bring to us when they come here, as well as the children and youth in our midst who may be in and out of homeschooling during their years. We will doubtless explore ways that we can learn together across generational lines and beyond traditional classroom settings. Yet we will always be rooted in that knowledge of self and knowledge of God that are intertwined as our faith seeks understanding and grows in the process of our seeking and our finding. So why learn? To know self. Why learn? To know God. Why learn? To have faith that encompasses encompasses all of human experience in our created beauty, in our fallen sadness, in our deep desire to heal the world, and in our living toward the world to come. Amen.